Welcome to the Tiproxy Method, creating confident learners. The Tiproxy Method uses a unique combination of breathwork, brain body work, gratitude, and a clay-based program to affect the neuroplasticity of the brain in students. To help strengthen their mind-body connection, help them develop a growth mindset, and most importantly, trust and confidence in themselves. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. One way to support the Creating Confident Learners podcast is to leave a five-star review and written review anywhere you listen to it. Thanks so much, and let's get started. And although they may not share it out loud or articulate this is how they feel, it's really interesting because we are creating a space for healing and learning and oftentimes students will open up to me over time as to what they're feeling, what they're thinking or what's going on. Be sure to sign up for the foundation course. This course is here to support you, both parents and educators. It teaches the exact foundational tools I have used with students to increase focus, ease anxiety, and help raise confidence and self-esteem so that they can succeed in all areas of their lives, including academics. It's made into bite-sized digestible pieces to help you apply these tools right away. What's become really apparent to me lately with some of my newer students that I've had this school year and some of the newer students acting out even more extreme than I'm used to. I have dealt with major behavior problems in the past, but not in the last few years. And just what I've actually noticed um, with one of my newer students recently is how there is so, so, so much sadness around being behind his peers. And he would never tell you that. He acts out in lots of ways. And I didn't realize until this one interaction how much sadness is below that kind of anger or acting out. And I've had to have a lot of talks with him lately about not acting out, not giving up, that I am here to help him And then I know it's hard, but eventually gets easier. And when I have these really empathetic conversations with him, he calms down, he listens. I can see he's really hearing me. And now that I look back and think about all the students I've worked one-on-one with, how they all show their sadness about being not at the level of their peers in different ways. Some of them shut down, some of them check out, some of them make up stories, some of them create bad behaviors because they're just seeking attention. With this kid in particular, there was one day I haven't had behavior every single time, but this past week for some reason I was getting behavior left and right and he out of nowhere just kicks the chair, looks at me, waits for a response. I completely stone face him. He does it again, the kicking of the chair. I don't give a reaction whatsoever and then he stops. And so what I'm noticing with this newer student is that he is so used to negative attention. That's where he gets his attention from. And so what we're having to do now is rewire that, rework that, focus on the positive, the good, so that those negative behaviors will dissipate eventually, and then we'll be able to really deal with the academic challenges that are happening. But every time I have a conversation, and some things I stone face and don't react to so they're not perpetuated, but some I I really have conversations about you know, there's no need to act out in a one-on-one setting. No one else is watching. You know, some things are hard, but I am truly, truly here to hold space and help him through whatever is, 
you know, hard. And on the flip side, I just had this amazing story of one of my students I've had for a couple of school years. And she was shutting down a few years ago in a different school. She's now transferred schools, different teacher, different environment, different grade level. But what I am hearing now is night and day from how she used to act at school in the classroom. She was sad. She was kind of depressed. She was kind of down on herself. Now at her new school, two years later, with the breath work, with the one-on-one work, teaching directly to her necessary needed skills, the breath work, the gratitude, she's now the positive influence in her classroom and in her school and with her classmates. She's the one cheering them on. She's the one telling them not to give up. And what an amazing transformation from being sad and acting out and feeling down and giving up to now being the encourager for her classmates. And that's a two-year turnaround and it's been you know it's been really good for the last you know year and a half or so but like this is the practice of gratitude that is permanent this is the stuff that we see later on it's it's the building of the muscle I remember when I first learned the practice of gratitude where someone had told me in my late 20s to write three things down every day and the first day I did I remember seeing like everything started popping out my attention went to all the good things that were happening it was almost hard to pick just three but with time with practice it almost there's something that physically changed in my nervous system in my body in my brain within my internal world where it started to be uncomfortable to be negative. My brain might would reach for positivity once I passed that 51% threshold where it was more comfortably grateful and more comfortable to notice the positive around me. And it did change. And so it's really cool to see kids when we're doing, you know, once or twice a week, hey, what are you grateful for? What are the three things? I mean, let's pause right now and take a moment to think about what you're grateful for. If I do the three grateful things exercise right now, it's it's easy. I mean, I'm in Hawaii. The sun is shining. It's gorgeous. I had a chance to go to the beach this morning, enjoy my coffee before doing podcast editing and podcast recording. And I also have a trip coming up. So those are just three things in my awareness for today. But it's really cool to see the long-term effects of these gratitude practices that I've been doing with this child in particular. And my hope is with this one who is acting out, he's only has about a month of gratitude under his belt, but with more practice that will start to rewire and change his outlook, change this heartbreak of being behind and really start to take positive steps towards change. Sometimes it's a lot easier for children and us as adults to stay in the rut that we're used to. So it was really apparent this past week that this child is used to negative attention. So that's why the loud stories come. That's why the acting out comes out. And, you know, really, if you can take that attention away from the behavior and go to the root problem and to start to really change the dynamic by focusing on positivity that will hopefully dissipate over time. 
And lately I've had to have these conversations, something that I actually go to quite often. I talk a lot with kids about how no one else is going to be able to go into their brain and think for them, do the work for them. I talk about, hey, not their mom, not their dad, not me, not their teacher, not Harper, my dog, you know, really getting this autonomy of learning, autonomy of behavior, autonomy of gratitude into their system so that they know that they're responsible for themselves, responsible for their own academic understanding, their own processing. Really, we can't motivate kids by telling them what to do. We have to find that internal motivation and really sometimes it's as explicit as a conversation of hey you got to find why this is important and then we I mean sometimes we have a discussion why is school important why do we need to do this why do we need to learn these things you know and with some of my teenagers I really have to have conversations that are yeah I get maybe you won't need this particular knowledge but you have to learn what a situation is asking of you, the expectation of your teacher, and how to be successful in that situation, that class. That is a lifelong skill for yourself. But the acting out, the kicking of the chairs, you being used to getting a response for behavior like that and waiting for the response. Really, I was shocked to be looked at for a response. And when I didn't engage, the behavior just stopped and went away. So I'm finding that this kid needs a lot of positive reinforcement. It's almost like he's used to getting all the attention the other way around, but he responds to this positive reinforcement so quickly. Like he's, I watch him soak it up like a sponge and then course correct almost instantly. But like what really stuck out to me was the sadness, was the heartbreak, this behavior which is not that extreme. I know there's more extreme behaviors to be seen, but it stems from a sadness. It actually doesn't stem from anger. It stems from being used to negative attention in general to usually deflect the lack of skill, right? We're usually compensating in some way. Kids are compensating in some way when they are acting out. Another thing I have on my classroom wall is this idea or this word perseverance and I have the definition and I'll read it really quick it's a noun so persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success so I have to talk a lot about with kids about sticking to something and this child in particular tends to give up quite easily but he's an amazing surfer so I like to switch the script for them I'm like hey you're a really good surfer I personally am not it's not my um, natural talent but hey would you ever tell me or someone else who's trying to learn how to surf to just give up and he's like absolutely not so when we can make a tangible connection of the struggles and academics, the need to persevere with something that they already know how to persevere with, usually that can be the connection too. And it's interesting because this child in particular really does respond to positive reinforcement, but these conversations about what it means to stick to something. We were doing word studies today, which involves actually cutting out some words based on their visual patterns. 
Usually I will pull words directly from what a kid is struggling with reading or spelling or writing, in this case reading, and finding those patterns in those words, and it's a group of words that they end up sorting. But the first step is to cut out. This child, again, gave up pretty easily, and so we had a big conversation about not giving up, persevering, but we did two studies, and the first one he gave up with just the cutting. So two in one day, and again, With word studies, when we teach children visually the word patterns, we also want to make sure they understand what the word means itself, right? The word see, S-E-A, is different than S-E-E. They make the same sound, but they look different, they mean different. So I always like to talk a lot about how a word is spelled dictates the meaning, tells what the meaning actually is for many words, not all of the words. But he gave up with a cutting and I had to talk to him about not giving up. And we we use that surfing example of because this is something easy for him and that, but not for other people. So I know he would never tell them to give up. So, and then it's funny to watch, like literally 10 minutes later, we did a second one because there was two word patterns that I wanted him to understand that he was not absorbing in just reading text. And he did so well, the cutting, the reading of the spelling patterns, the tools to look at the spelling patterns with his eyes versus his ears. And, you know, just, The quick turnaround when we can give the reason why sometimes, but also just positively reinforce what they're doing, reinforcing the positive behavior, the perseverance, the sticking to something versus the negative behavior, the giving up, and we can really build them up that way, we will see some drastic changes pretty quickly. Like, you know, the two word studies in one day, the first one giving up on cutting, the second one, you know, really going through the whole thing with awareness with intent with ease and with you know focus really and it's not that this child can't that he's not capable but his default mechanisms is giving up quickly they just overtake so there's a lot of work that's happening right now with this student in particular of really talking through that giving up and how to pick up and and try again and you know really we only fail if we give up you know that so we're having a lot of those conversations lately and I do a lot of discussion with the students that I see. There's a lot of talking to make sure they understand what they're talking about, understanding why, what they're doing. But when we have a pattern of self-characteristic, a habit that has become part of our personality, it takes a little bit of effort to reroute that. So for this child in particular, he gives up very easily. So we're working on how not to give up, picking up where you left off and just completing the task fully at the pace that he can handle with the positive encouragement and taking away, you know, that negative behavior, that negativity. And, you know, he's really does respond well to that. But again, it makes me think of the heartbreak. It's easier just to give up. I'm used to giving up. So we're really having to repattern and rewire what's going on right now. And yeah, the process sometimes is hard because, and this process in particular is hard because we're having to undo a lot, undo the behaviors, for attention, the baby talk, the goofing off, the stopping and just giving up, the kicking of things for attention, the attention to looking around and, 
you know, wondering about everything else versus what is actually the task at hand. So a lot of times when kids are behind, we have the emotional component like heartbreak or anger or sadness around not being at the level they want to be at or be with their peers if they're noticing, right? We, as kids get older, they start to really notice the gaps, right? And it's natural to struggle to a certain extent in that kindergarten, first, second grade level, um, and then as things get harder in upper grades too, but if there's a big discrepancy, then we have to overcome the emotional component. And in this case, when kids start to have behaviors like giving up or negativity, we have to overcome those first with the gratitude, with the breath work, with filling in the holes so that we can really start to deal with the academics after. A lot of times emotions and other things the internal state, the self-talk, is affecting how well a child is learning as well. Just the other day, the same student was in awe of how fast I was at writing and reading, and I had to tell him it just took practice. I didn't give up. So a lot, I have a lot of conversations with kids about going, hey, I, I didn't know how to do this the first time. You know, it's the practice that makes it, you know, easy. It's not that it's just a one-time thing or I just did it once but I have gotten better and better and better and I actually do this every day or every school week so that helps as well it's still in my consciousness my awareness my focus but this kid in particular when he gets something he just lights up when something is easy for him we read a book for the second time it's an early reader so he's still like you know trying to get all the more complex reading patterns you know and that does take enough practice, enough repetition for the brain to make the synaptic connections to really remember and retain. But he really, really didn't want to. And I have a conversation with kids a lot of times where it's possible to, you know, good readers read things more than once. Some of my kids that struggle in chapter books, I'll make them reread a sentence if they're really messing it up or reread the whole page or the paragraph that you do tend to resist the first few times. But then they even notice for themselves that they've got it the second time, the third time, right? The brain learns through multiple exposure. But what was really cool is we read this level one book again for the second time. And he was like, oh, that was easier because he'd already done it once. He'd already put the struggle in. And it wasn't even the same day that he was reading this book. But, you know, we want them to notice when they put the positive effort, they do reap the rewards. What's heartbreaking as well is when a kid really, really studies and tries and is trying hard and there's no uh, correlation to getting better, you know, but when they've done something different than what they normally do and there's a positive result, I really like to celebrate that with them so they can see that, hey, this effort is paying off for them. And so I often, like with the reading, tell kids that good readers read books more than once or even that sentence or that paragraph or that page. I do remember being in middle school and reading full pages or maybe fifth grade and getting to the end of the page and not having any idea what I just read. So having to go right back up to the top. So I understand that frustration, but it's really cool when they make the connection that it's easier the second time. They remember more, they read smoother. Again, I read out loud with all kids kindergarten through high school. Um, up to 20 to 40 minutes, depending. And I'm pulling specific vocabulary, specific word patterns, specific 
words that they are having trouble with in that context. And when you read out loud, there's ample time to really talk about what's going on to help the modeling process of reading that goes on internally. And then I actually have another kid right now who's now getting better at reading out loud and he needs to learn how to also read independently and silently in his head. But it's really fun to watch all my students right now kind of just up leveling and, you know, reading. There's multiple parts to it. There's a fluency of reading out loud, the the reading muscle or stamina to stick to something that's hard or just for a length of time. That's a skill in itself. Reading out loud and reading independently, retaining information, being able to comprehend deeper questions as well as summarize. There's just so much going on. And so when it comes to reading, a lot of kids that I work with don't want to do that double work of reading over and over again or put in the second effort or try to get it right. Of course, I always, not necessarily in reading, but other assignments say, hey, do it right the first time so you don't have to do it again. That's always disheartening. But when it comes to reading and rereading of the sentence or paragraph, if it's not smooth enough the first time or rewriting their spelling mistakes, so with the older kids, when they start to write their own spelling mistakes from their own reading and edit and and go through the process of a rough draft, you know, a free write, 15, 20 minutes writing their story or idea down, a paragraph or two, a page, whatever their writing rate is, then editing and then recopying that whole thing to fix their own mistakes. We're going to fill in their gaps quicker. I always talk about filling like their specific gaps, their specific misspelled words, their specific misread words, their specific misknown vocabulary words. We want to teach what they don't know so that they can fill in those holes as quickly as possible and then transfer it to other things. But when we have that rereading of sentences of paragraphs, it's not smooth the first time or they have to rewrite their spelling mistakes. But every time I hold these kids who don't want to do this accountable, they notice for themselves that it made a difference. And we want kids to notice what works, that there is some perseverance, there is some grit, there is sticking to and retrying and redoing something better so that your brain and yourself can, you know, learn something better, which then adds to their self-esteem. And furthermore, this is how the brain learns. The neuroplasticity of the quickest route to retention is repetition. But this week in particular, the sadness was so apparent to me. And I realized that a lot of kids I've worked with before feel the same way. So this one kid kind of just lit it up in my head and I could almost feel the sadness through the empathy and just his body language and how extreme he was acting out after even a few weeks of working together. And although they may not share it out loud or articulate this is how they feel, it's really interesting because we are creating a space for healing and learning education in the truest sense. And oftentimes students will open up to me over time as to what they're feeling, what they're thinking or what's going on. They just need a place to express how they're thinking and feeling. And that's almost a therapeutic element to tutoring in addition to the therapeutic filling in the gaps of knowledge that come through as well through discussion, through the work that they're doing, through things that, you know, just come up through the natural process of learning. But I always come back to confidence is 
so key, being confident, being able to process not only through the work, but the emotions and the challenges or the schoolwork, but also the peer dynamics and the friendships and the bullying. These are all part of school. So when I think of academic struggles, the emotional component is actually quite a big part of it. That's why I come back to the breath work, right? We're calming the nervous system, getting into the parasympathetic nervous system, as well as oxygenating the brain. When the brain has more oxygen, it works better. It can remember more. So there's, and when we do the gratitude, we calm that anxiety. We start to shift the self-esteem, which then we don't have to deal with in addition to the academic holes. It's interesting to me that because the kids and the parents don't always make that connection, the breath work that seems so simple. It's about three to five minutes of our time together and the gratitude itself builds up a reservoir the breathwork and the gratitude are these tools, are these components, are these keys that build up a reservoir of resilience for kids in any adversity. Academic, true, but also the inevitable bumps that life throws our way as well. So I am lucky enough to work with kids for multiple years through multiple grades and see them mature and grow up, but really seeing when the gratitude changes their personality changes how they interact with other people, how they show up in new environments and for other people, and how that has a ripple effect into creating positivity and gratitude to their peers. This is why this is important. We want to overcome the heartbreak, overcome the sadness of being behind, change that internal dialogue, change that confidence, change that self-esteem so that they can not only be critical, you know, thinkers and learners and lifelong learners, but also happy humans as they're doing it. Be sure to sign up for the foundation course. This course is here to support you. It teaches the exact foundational tools I have used with students to ease anxiety and help raise confidence and self-esteem so that they can succeed in all areas of their lives, including academics. It's available as a one-time purchase or as an ongoing monthly subscription with extra group support and monthly live stream. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter to stay in contact. Keep up with the Creating Confident Learners community on Instagram and Facebook at Creating Confident Learners. Have a blessed day and aloha.